Well, good morning again, church. It is good to be back. Like Risha mentioned, I was gone for a month. You probably didn't notice. Um, but I'm really thankful to our elders here at Highland who every seven years give the ministry staff a one-month sabbatical. It was a really special time. I'm very mindful that most people don't get a sabbatical, and I'm sorry about that. You should. If you need me to put in a word with someone, I will, because it's a, real, it's a great blessing. And uh, it was a special time, made a lot of memories with my family. There's a, a lady in our neighborhood. She's the, every, every neighborhood has this lady. She's the one that watches out her window all day and sees who's coming and going and keeps track of everything. And we pulled into the driveway after a month of being gone, and she came up and she said, where have you been? She said, I was fixing to call the jails. <laughs> Which, why, <laughs> jails, that was first? Like hospitals or parents, you know, jails. All right, we're in the book of Jonah. If you're our guest today, let me invite you. We've got Bibles in the back. You're welcome to grab. The text will also be on the screen behind me. Jonah's in the Old Testament. We're going to be in chapter three of Jonah, the first three verses, just the first three verses of chapter three this morning. You'll see it behind me. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. A second time. That's what catches my attention when I read this passage, these three verses at the beginning of chapter three of Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So even if you're new to church, if you're new to this whole Bible thing, you have probably heard the story of Jonah. It's everywhere in the world. Movies have been made about it, books written about it, veggie tales have been made of Jonah. So you've heard what happened the first time the word of the Lord came to Jonah back in chapter 1, verse 1. Jonah wants, God wants Jonah, sorry, to go to Nineveh and pre- preach to it about its wickedness. But Jonah decides he's going to try to come sail away. No. Sail away, sail away, sail. No, in you? No, all right. He's going to try to sail away from God. Things on sabbatical that seem like good ideas that you come back and (laughs) in the real world, they're not so good. Jonah decides he's going to try to sail away from God, which is comical because, of course, he is sailing away on the waters that God put up their boundaries, right? You know, God created this world and Jonah's trying to get away while on the world that God created. He can't get away. God sends a storm on, comes upon Jonah and these sailors that are on this boat. The sailors get scared. They throw Jonah off the boat, which turns out good for them, but bad for Jonah because he's sinking down into the depths of the ocean. And then a great fish comes and swallows Jonah whole. And from the inside of the belly of that fish for three days, Jonah begins to pray. And basically he says, I was wrong. You were right, God. I'll go to Nineveh. And then at the end of chapter two, it says that the great fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's the word. I'm sorry. It's the word. Which turns out good for Jonah, but it's pretty gross. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And this time he obeys. You know, when I, when I read those first three verses of chapter three. And I see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I can't help but wonder what would it be like to be the kind of person that obeys the word of the Lord the first time? You know, the kind of person that doesn't have to get swallowed by a fish to be obedient to God. And, you know, maybe that's what sticks out to me because I'm a parent. 
And I just spent a month, 24 hours a day with my kids, telling them to do something and watching them not do it, right? <clears throat> and I'm wondering, what would it be like to be the kind of person or child that does what you're told the first time? One of our elders pulled Lindsay aside the other Sunday morning. He and his wife teach our oldest, his Sunday school class here at Highland. He said, I got to tell you a story. He said, you know, we uh, hand out snacks at the end of every class, a little cup full of goldfish. And we like to help the kids to remember to do, you know, simple things like say please and thank you. And so I walk around the room and I hand them the goldfish and I kind of hold on to it until they say, thank you. And we've been doing this so long that I just go around the room and one by one, every kid says, thank you. But then I came to your son. <laughs> Said I handed him the goldfish. He took hold of it and he pulled on it. And, and I, I kind of pulled back and he pulled on it again. I, I pulled back and then my five-year-old son looks up to an elder of this church, one of my bosses and says to him, give it to me. <laughs> You know, I, I'm sure I've told him to say thank you a thousand times, but it has not stuck. Now the, the Highland elders can confirm that, right? You know, what if, we, what if we listened the first time? What if we said thank you? Like we've been we'd told to say thank you. What if, and what if we didn't get burned by the stove we've been told not to touch? What if we didn't have to get a, a speeding ticket or get fired from the job or get that broken heart, right? What if we... What if we did what we were told the first time? You know, what if we were the kind of people who didn't have to end up in the belly of a fish to obey the word of God when it came to us the first time? Our small group's reading a, a book by Francis and Lisa Chance, a great book, it's about marriage, and they have a really simple solution for this problem, doing the word of the Lord the first time. This is their solution, just do it. Basically, they say it like this, they say, <clears throat> What you should do is you should read your Bible and you should assume that every instruction in Scripture is for you. And every good and holy thing that comes to mind that you might possibly do as you go about your life, you should do that too. So he gives an example. He says, you know, the James, book of James, we're told to, to care for orphans and widows. He said, what if you just assumed that instruction was for you? And you just decided that I'm going to get trained to be a foster parent or I'm going to attempt to adopt. And you just went down that road until God obviously closed the door on you. Now, that's compelling to me. And I hope that some of you might think, man, maybe God's trying to get my attention and get me to care for orphans in that way. I hope more people at this church will adopt. We'll help you pay for it if you do. Or, or widows. You know, what if you just assume that the instruction from James to care for widows is for you and you just decided, I'm going to care for some widows. And maybe you started visiting the widows here at Highland, many who are lonely. Or, or what if you started to ride that bus that we've got that goes and picks up some of our ladies from Kirby Pines on Sunday morning? Or, or what if you volunteered to be one of the drivers for that bus to go and pick up those ladies and you rode here with them? I mean, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be nice? I mean, what if you just assumed the instruction to care for widows was for you and you just did it until God obviously closed that door for you? I don't know what that would look like. You know, if, if they like threw you off the bus somewhere, then maybe that's not your calling. But otherwise, what if you, those ladies are feisty. You know, what if you just assumed that instruction was for you? And I really appreciate that commitment to the word of God in our lives. Now, I don't want to be a second time follower of the word. I don't want to be a third or fourth time follower of the word. I, I want to be a first time follower of the word of God in my life. Doesn't that seem like a holy desire? 
<clears throat> and doesn't that also feel like a heavy burden? I was meeting with a friend here at church about my age, and he said, Eric, for years, I've gone to bed every night feeling like I did not do enough for God that day. And so the first thought I have when I wake up and I get my Bible and I prepare to, for this day ahead of me is one of overwhelming anxiety. He says, this is what goes through my mind. What if today I say no to something God wants me to say yes to? And what seems like a holy desire to be a first time obedient follower of the word for him is creating this hellish anxiety. And so although I appreciate the desire to be a first time obedient follower of the word, you know, the heavy burden that that can create for us does not seem to me, Holy Spirit's on the move, You know, that heavy burden does not seem to me to be the, the same thing as what Jesus described when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. I don't think that obedience out of anxiety is what God is after. Now, that does not mean there's no urgency to the kingdom of God. So when you read the book of Jonah, like, make no mistake, the big point here is that God has a message. He wants to get to Nineveh, and Jonah's delay is not helping that. Right? He's got a message he wants to get there. And some of us feel no urgency when it comes to the kingdom of God. And let me say, there is urgency. The kingdom of God is important. It matters and it demands things of you that sometimes are time sensitive. But let me say this, urgency does not equal anxiety. And obedience out of anxiety isn't what God is after. You know, you might say, well, but look at Jonah. You know, he disobeyed God and he ended up in the belly of a fish. And to me, that seems like something to be afraid of, at least something to be anxious about. And a good reason to avoid large bodies of water. But what I want you to do is look back at chapter two. This is the prayer that Jonah prays from inside the belly of the fish. And I want you to see how Jonah interprets the fish. This is what we find in Jonah 2, verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. So isn't, isn't that fascinating? Notice what he's doing. You know, we tend to, to tend to tell the story of Jonah in a way that the fish is punishment for Jonah's disobedience, but Jonah does not see the fish as punishment. He sees the fish as divine rescue sent from God when he was drowning. You know, so his decision to be obedient to God when the word of the Lord comes a second time is based not on fear, but on relief and gratefulness that God saved him when he was in trouble. Okay, <clears throat> most historians, church historians, think that the most important sermon in American history was preached in 1741. It's been downhill ever since. And uh, the sermon was preached by a guy named Jonathan Edwards. Does anyone know the name of the sermon? 
sinners in the hands of an angry God. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Uh, the most famous scene in this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, is called the spider scene, in which Jonathan Edwards, from bellowing from the pulpit, describes God holding us, dangling over a pit of fire like you might hold a spider before tossing it in. And basically, the message is God is mad at us, and God doesn't like us very much. And when you read Jonah at first, like on first glance through the book of Jonah, that doesn't seem to be far off. You know, God's got this message. He wants to get to Nineveh, and this is the message. You are about to be wiped off the face of the planet. And then when Jonah is disobedient, when the word of God comes the first time, you can almost imagine God himself sending that storm to come upon Jonah and reaching down with this invisible hand and helping those sailors to, to lift him up out of the boat and toss him in the water. You know, and if you and I were in Jonah's place and we were sinking down into the depths of the ocean and suddenly we were in the belly of a fish, I imagine that from the belly of that fish, we'd be thinking, it doesn't get much worse than this. Sinners in the hands of an angry God, after all. But what's fascinating about the fish is that inside the fish, Jonah does accept that he's a sinner, but not that God is angry. You know, he's convinced that the fish is not proof of God's anger, but proof of God's love. He's a sinner in the hands of a loving God. And what you'll notice is that he comes to that conclusion by prayer. So at the beginning of chapter 2, it's this really interesting juxtaposition because you've got Jonah's situation in the belly of a fish butted up next to what he prays. And I want you to look at those at the beginning of chapter 2. From the inside of a fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Now, you don't expect him to be thankful from the inside of a fish, but prayer can do that. Here's what I want you to hear. The story of Jonah proves that God does desire for us to hear his word and be obedient. But it also proves that God provides experiences in our lives that help us prepare to hear the word of the Lord when it comes the second time, whether that's storms or sailors or big fish. But unless you are praying, you may not interpret those experiences like God wants you to interpret them. And not only might you misunderstand the fish in your life, but you might misunderstand the God who sent the fish, thinking that God is angry with you, when in fact it's the opposite. God is trying to rescue you. And the difference is prayer. That's the difference. So when I come back to our text for this morning, Jonah 3, 1 through 3, I'll read it a little bit differently. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. And so now, you know, instead of reading this and feeling overwhelmed at the prospect of trying to obey the word of God the first time or risking, risk getting you know, thrown into the fire or thrown into the water, you know, now when I read it, it's those words, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That seems to me to be the whole point of this whole story, right? 
that the good news of Jonah is that when it comes to God, the word of the Lord will come a second time. You know, God's not one and done. You know, as I was working on this sermon and those words one and done just kind of came across the screen as I was typing this out. And I realized that that's a, that's a term from college basketball. That was why it's in my mind. There's this rule in basketball that if you're a high school basketball star, you have got to go and play one year of college basketball before you go to the pros. And it's hard to know if this is a rule designed to protect those kids or make colleges a lot of money. But that's the rule. And so what that means is that if you're a fan of college basketball and you get one of those high school basketball stars on your team, you are really excited. But what you know is you've got one year to make it because he's gonna be gone after that. He's gonna be one and done. He's gonna go to the pros. And I think what's fascinating is that that idea invades our conception of God. In fact, for Jonah, that's what he believes about God. He's going to Nineveh to deliver this message. You had one chance with God and you missed it, you're done. You know, God's gonna wipe you off the face of the earth. And what I can't get over is that even though the word of the Lord has just come to Jonah a second time, even though he had one chance and missed it, and the word comes again a second time, he still can't believe that God would in, perhaps in his wildest imagination send his word to Nineveh a second time. He still believes that God is one and done, but it turns out as you read on in Jonah that God is not done with Nineveh, just like he's not done with Jonah. I want you to stop and, and sit with that for a second. Yes, God wanted Jonah to do what he said in chapter one, verse one. Okay, yes, God wants Nineveh to do what he says. Yes, God wants us to do what he says. But Jonah doesn't respond the first time and God doesn't give up on him. Nineveh doesn't respond the first time. God doesn't give up on them. In fact, God is so committed to the, his word, the word of the Lord being heard that he sends storms and sailors fish to ensure that his word is heard. And because Jonah then begins to pray, he's able to interpret those events as God wants him and prepare himself to hear the word of the Lord when it comes a second time. It's, you know, like, here's the takeaway. God's not done with you. you know, God's not done with those people you love who aren't hearing the word of the Lord right now. God's not done with your kids who've walked away. God's not done with your parents who don't believe. God's not done with your brother or sister or your neighbor or your colleagues at work. You know, when it comes to God, he is always in pursuit. He's not done. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Francis Thompson was an aspiring poet in the late 19th century in London. He struggled with addiction and sickness and illness and throughout his life made many terrible decisions. And yet he, he described feeling someone always behind him, always chasing him. And he wrote this wonderful poem called The Hound of Heaven. And he says this about God. He says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways and from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase, 
an unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy they beat. And he's talking about the footsteps of God always behind him. That's such a powerful image, isn't it? I'm reminded of Jesus when he tells the story of the shepherd who's got a hundred sheep. One of those sheep goes missing, and so you see that shepherd just take off, and he's climbing mountains and valleys and crossing rivers until he finds that sheep, and we find this in Luke 15. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home, and he calls his friends, and he calls his neighbors together, and he says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. You know, just because you are lost once does not mean you can't be found a second time. When the word of the Lord comes that second time. A few weeks ago, I'll end, I'll end with this. There was a, a man who showed up here, walked in between services and began a conversation with somebody who, who brought him to me. He said, this is what it comes down to. He says, I, I grew up in church a long time ago, but I've been gone a long time. He says, but for the last few weeks, I just feel like, well, I feel like God's just like chasing me. When we said chasing me, I thought immediately of this poem as I was working on this sermon. I said, huh. He says, I just feel like I can't get away. I feel like God's not done with me yet. And he looked at me, he said, do y'all, do you, do you baptize people here? Yes, that's something we do. We do baptize people here. And so I'll never forget as we took him into the water behind me and I lowered him down into the water and he came up and he just had this great smile on his face. I was just just reminded of Jonah, who missed the word of the Lord the first time. But something in that water prepared him to hear it when it came the second time. You know, God is not done. God is alive and well and on the move in the world. And in your own life, God may feel far and distant, may feel like you haven't heard from him in a long time or in your life, you've got children and parents and colleagues and such who have not heard the word of the Lord in ages, it seems to you. Let me tell you, the word of the Lord will come a second time. Thanks be to God. Will you stand as we sing together? If you've heard the word of the Lord this morning, you'd like prayer, you'd like to be baptized in the water behind me. Yep, that's something we do. I'd love to do that with you. Why don't you come down front? Let's sing together. Lord, we come before thee now. At thy feet we